You're listening to On the Road, Our Way, the archive of the podcast formerly known as Women on the Road from 2017 to 2020, hosted and produced by Laura Borshevsky and a production of Rabble Media. This episode of Women on the Road is brought to you by Otterbox, our main sponsor of the Women on the Road gathering and crafters of durable outdoor gear to support your travels, no matter how extreme or ordinary. With hard and soft coolers, tumblers, growlers, duffels, and dry boxes, you can protect your gear while keeping your food and drinks just the right temperature, which definitely helps make any adventure more fun. Stay tuned for later in this episode, when I share how Otterbox gear helped us at the Women on the Road gathering in the extreme temperatures of Taos, New Mexico. Learn more at otterbox.com. That's otterbox.com. I'm Laura Hughes, and you're listening to the She Explores podcast series, Women on the Road a podcast to bring you closer to some of the honest experiences that life on the road has to offer from the perspective of women who've lived it firsthand. This is an entirely new kind of episode for our show. It's a live recording of the Q&A panel we just recently held in Taos, New Mexico for the Women on the Road Gathering, a weekend event we put together in partnership with VN Life Diaries. A lot of the show is going to speak for itself, but if you weren't able to attend the event in person, I just want you to imagine for a minute what it was like to be there. You're sitting with 150 other female and non-binary travelers in the high desert at Taos Mesa Brewing next to an adorable campground called Hotel Luna Mystica, set serenely on a mesa by the mountains. You might know a couple people here, but odds are that most or all of the faces around you are somewhat new. Still, there's something that makes you feel like you're sitting in familiarity, like these new friends have been there all along in some way. And maybe they have been. Maybe you've exchanged some words of encouragement online, or been inspired by their photos, or writing, or watching their journey unfold in some way. Or maybe you jumped into your car at the last minute, on a whim, and joined us here, not knowing a soul or what to expect from this time together. Either way, we've already shared meals, stories, and campfires by this point. So as the golden evening light begins to sweep onto the stage where six women are getting seated so they can answer questions from the audience... You sit yourself among this community and get ready to listen, knowing that in-person connections like this are even sweeter when they're shared by people who are constantly on the move. Hey, everyone. Welcome. Can everyone hear me all right back there? Yeah? Okay. How's everyone been doing today? Hey, good. (laughs) You sound super chill, so we're going to take that as a good sign. So you all know me, I'm Laura, and I host the Women on the Road podcast, and I co-produce it along with Gail Straub, who's sitting down there uh, running sound, because this live recording will turn into an episode of Women on the Road, which we're really excited about. We're going to kick things off with introductions from each of our panelists. We have six awesome ladies back here who all have different types of experience on the road, but have been really, really strong voices in our community, um, especially online, and some of them have also been featured on the podcast in part or in full featured episodes. So to kick things off, would you like to go first, Martha? I'm Martha. I live in the school bus that's painted like a Sherbert sunset. I run a bikini business out of that bus called Love Martha Swim. Um, That's also my Instagram handle. And yeah, I guess I've been in that particular vehicle for a year and a half, I think now and then been on the road in different vehicles on and off for many years. Hello, I'm Lisa. I'm with VK Vans. 
and I um, have been on the road for seven months tomorrow. I started off with a boyfriend and had a public breakup, and our breakup was a year ago today. So it's kind of like a freedom moment. Full circle, yeah, it feels really good. <laughs> so I'm a solo traveler, started in Austin, Texas, and um, just full-time all over the place. I was a lawyer, and I work remotely, and just doing a bunch of different things now. Hello, um, I, my name is Sydney, and I actually, a similar story, I started van life with a boyfriend. We were in the van for about eight months, and then we broke up, and now I've been on the road solo for almost a month. It's been about three or four weeks. Yeah, it's a 2017 Ford Transit. Built it out, uh, a couple of my dad's friends, and yeah. Hi, I'm Emily. I am not a full-time traveler. I am a math teacher in Denver, and then I travel on the weekends in my Nissan uh, Rogue that I built out with my family, and I'm just traveling by myself to national parks right now. Hi, I'm Katie. I also started van life with a boyfriend, <laughs> and after about a year, we broke up, and I've been in the van um, about six months, a couple months on the road full-time again now, but um, about a year and a half total. It's a 144-inch Sprinter, and um, yeah, it's been really great. I love being here and connecting with all the women. Hi, my name is Kit. I have been on the road for about seven years now. Um, I've been traveling in a 76 VW bus that we call Sunshine with my boyfriend, who I am still with. <laughs> um, somehow, <laughs> though sometimes we each sleep in a tent, depending on who's in trouble. So I will say that. <laughs> and I run the blog Idle Theory Bus and have published a book named Orange is Optimism. And I'm so happy to be here connecting with everyone else who loves the road as much as I do. I'm gonna just start off with one that I'm always fascinated to hear about. This question is, how did you decide what vehicle was best for you? So whether it's a van, bus, camper, sedan, et cetera. This probably isn't a good question for me because um, I just choose everything because of how it looks. <laughs> if I like how it looks, I'll own it, so. <laughs> That's one way to do it. My ex was very tall, so we chose a Sprinter based on height, and also we really liked the body style, and the size really fit well. We looked at some different vehicles, different sizes, and we put blue tape out on the ground, and um, we had the person at the dealership say, okay, next time you guys get in a fight, go stand in this blue tape together and see how you feel, and let me know if you want to get a bigger version of the van. But um, we settled on the small one, and it was just what they had in stock. Those things get bought off the lot really fast, so it just kind of was, it was meant to be, it just happened. <laughs> like I said, I have a Nissan Rogue, so it's pretty small, and I travel in that because that's the car that I had. And I don't travel full time, so I don't need a lot of um, storage. Um, so when I was with my boyfriend, we had a Sprinter, and while we had it during those eight months, we had several major repairs, and so I think that kind of just scarred me a little bit. Like, going on the road alone, I just had a lot of anxiety about if I would have repairs and handling them and taking them to dealerships and stuff like that. So I ended up going with the Ford Transit because it's very similar to the Sprinter, but it's made by Ford, so I can kind of take it to any mechanic. And yeah, the parts are just a little bit cheaper when you need them. Um, and I'm in a Nissan NV, and I didn't know that it was a kind of a rare van to convert, but I just knew I wanted something that was reliable and something I could stand up in. And so, I mean, after 48 hours of 
discovering the whole van life thing. I just saw it on Craigslist and bought it that day. So, I mean, <laughs> it, it worked out, but people, yeah, so it's funny to me sometimes when people talk about how they've been agonizing for a long time, and I know research is important, but sometimes when the opportunity arises, you just need to jump for it. Mine's actually pretty similar to that. I live in the school bus, and it was something I kind of just jumped on because I had no money, and it was really, really cheap from an auction in Oregon. But the other thing, I was looking at school buses specifically because they have windows all the way around, and being a working artist, I like didn't want to be trapped in a box that I couldn't see out of while I was working all day long. So, yeah, easy choice. <laughs> and just a show of hands, have you all had some hand in like, maybe not personally, you or you and your partner have had some hand in converting your own vehicle? Yeah, to some extent, or doing maintenance? Or you worked, yeah, your, your family helped you with that? Yeah, I mean, I designed the whole thing, but like I didn't, I didn't do it with my own hands. Yeah, can I don't have that talent. Can I ask you like what elements, because if you haven't seen her van, it's, um, it is pretty impressive. I feel like the design is very thoughtful, and Thank so you. can I ask a little bit about that, just like what, yeah, what elements of the design were important? How did you design your van? Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, so behind like the, the driver's seat and the passenger seat, there's two walls, and there's a pocket door that slides to close that off. So that was just one thing I really wanted to add because of safety reasons. In my head, I was thinking, like, if someone tries to break in the front, I would like to have a couple minutes of me trying to, like, get out of the back or figure out what to do before they have access to me. So I, like, added that in. I think that's a little bit different. And then I just added in some, like, random Indiana pieces. Like, that's where I'm from. So I have the tin roof from the barn where it was built is, like, part of the kitchen. And I went to, like, a really small local uh, tile place for my kitchen tile. And, yeah, I mean, I was just really fortunate. I have really, really talented family friends. And so they just, I mean, I, you can think up like anything and they just totally put my dream to life like it was really cool that's incredible thanks for answering that yeah, I've wanted to ask you that for a while <laughs> <laughs> okay here's another question from our audience what were some obstacles both mental and physical that you faced when getting on the road and how did you overcome them I've kind of done this twice because when my ex and I split I went home and I was getting ready to sell the van and I decided to buy it but I had fully moved out of it first so I had to go through that process again. And I think just deciding that something is important to you and choosing that that lifestyle is really like, that's the main thing, that's why we're here, that's what we, we wanna do with our time and our energy. And making that conscious choice of like, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna plan enough to be smart about it, but I'm not gonna regret, I'm not gonna look back. And as cheesy as that sounds, it's so true because I was just having a conversation today, living on the road is so much of a full-time job in itself that there's not really time to worry about a lot of stuff once you're there, you're just, you're living. and. It's a lot of work already. So when I first went out on the road, well, my first, my first go at it, I solo backpacked around South America, and I got a lot of you know the questions you would think. I was 20 years old, and uh, no one thought that was much of a good idea <laughs> in my life. Um, but I think when hitting the road full time in my bus, the, the thing I found hardest about it was um, the lack of support from family and friends. Uh, I had uh, no one in my life who really thought it would be a sustainable way to live or that even it was worth doing for a year. Um, so actually I had a conversation with my dad once and you know he told me that I was a bad return on investment because he had put so much into me and what was coming out of it. And um, so that was, coming to terms with that was really difficult and I think that now seven years in, it's been interesting to grow the relationship with 
especially my father, um, and say, hey, I'm, I'm still doing it. Uh, and he's, you know, he still tells me I should get a rectangle somewhere and settle down. He calls what he calls it a rectangle. He's like, everyone needs to have 90 degree angles in their lives. Because uh, <laughs> everything I do is round. It's just a big circle. <laughs> but I, I think coming to terms with that has been a major uh, growing experience because I, you know, I sat on the road really radical, like, you know, oh, I'm going to go change the world by doing this, you know. And I think I've learned to, you know, even though everything was a circle, I've learned to soften into my father's advice and the advice of other people and say, well, maybe I don't have it all figured it out. And maybe you do have points even though we don't agree on lifestyle. So... That's been an evolution. I'd say for me, the biggest hurdle, I mean, I already spoke to this a little bit, but it was financial, like the fear of going out there and like knowing that you can support yourself uh, was a really hard thing for me to believe. <laughs> like running my own business on the road isn't that different than running it at home, but everybody's a little bit scared when they hit the road that they're gonna run into major mechanical issues and not be able to deal with them. And that's something I've definitely faced. But like it works out as scary as it can be. And sometimes it does still make me nervous, but like that's okay and it's okay to like sit with that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And this is actually a great segue because someone had some questions about maintenance on vehicles that you travel in. The question is kind of multi-part, but we can just maybe take the sum of it and whatever advice or thoughts come from it, we can, we can answer it that way. So the question is, especially as full-timers, how do you stay on top of maintenance of your vehicle or living spaces? Do you do it yourself? What resources do you know about? How do you take it to a shop? How do you find a good one? So things like that, what tips might you have for someone with those questions? Um, I can start with that one too. <laughs> that one is super real for me right now. Um, I'm having lots of bus issues that I didn't, have time to deal with before I left uh, the Bay Area where I was coming from at the time. And it is hard for me to find a shop because I have a diesel 80s bus um, and not everybody wants to deal with that <laughs> or like has the skills to deal with it. But I have learned a lot from YouTube. My best tip, I think, is to like put it out there to your friends or like friends of friends. Um, to try to find somebody who does have those skills, especially if they're willing to barter or trade stuff. I end up doing a lot of trades and a lot of bartering for mechanical work and some of the building work inside the bus too. Like I said, we have a 76 VW bus, um, which isn't practical, which is why I didn't answer the first question. Um, but I have a lot to say about maintenance because Gail was actually telling me the other day that I should probably make a book about breaking down across America because I have been broken down so many times. And if, you, if you've ever driven a VW bus or traveled with anyone who has a VW bus, you know, that's just part of what happens. So actually, we've been broken down I, could, I couldn't even count it, but just north of here two years ago, we broke down uh, and we're stuck in Cuesta for a little while. And, but I think something about maintaining your vehicle to keep in mind is that I think that you should do it. Um, I don't judge people who don't, but I think that it's a really, really good skill to know at least a few things um, if you're gonna be out there. We go to really remote places a lot. Like we'll, we'll do a 500 mile back road that has you know nothing on it. And I think that just ha carrying a few set pieces that you, you're like, yep, that's you know knowing your vehicle and saying, yep, that's gonna go. And just carrying it, knowing how to get it in and out is a good thing. Um, so I've learned a lot. Uh, we have a manual. 
I'll sit under there with my partner, JR, and we'll just read straight from the manual and try to put things together. We've used uh, hair clips and <laughs> aluminum foil and a toothbrush once, uh, and our bumper has fallen off in Joshua Tree, and we've been there, done that. And uh, something I would say is, Whatever vehicle you have, there's probably a subgroup of people who are really passionate about that vehicle, and whether it's old or new, and find them, and find the forum, and ask for help. And you know, sometimes it's even just, hey, I'm broken down in this town, and you can find someone through your vehicle and say, hey, I have blah, 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 find the, go on the forum. People have offered us you know, a place to stay, mechanic shops, you know, whatever. And so I would say find community, seek it out online, and learn from there. Nice, thank you. Um, this is a non-mechanical question. I'd actually love all of your responses to this one just because I'm really curious and I love food. Um, and maybe it's because it's like gonna be a happy hour soon. But this question is, what's your favorite meal cooked on the road? I'll start since I have it. Um, we do a lot of soups, um, one pot meals. So I think my favorite is, I, I make bone broth in the bus. Um, I have like a big copper pot. So I always have some on there and um, I'll throw some veggies in there and we're good to go. I, I put butter in it too. I'm a big, big butter eater. <laughs> That's my favorite meal. I also coincidentally eat a lot of soup. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Fresh Off the Grid. I'm a huge fan. I use a lot of their recipes because they do car camping and backpacking recipes. And it's usually one pot. And now that I'm alone, I can eat out of the pot. So I don't have to do a lot of dishes either, which is really nice. And it's very simple in the sense is that you don't even need a lot of spices. Like I can, I usually have f at least five of the items that a recipe requires in my van already. So that's a huge resource for me and a, a lot of soups, a lot of soups. I think the thing that I eat the most is just cheese. <laughs> like I always, <laughs> like, I buy like French bread and a bunch of cheese and that satisfies me. I do not cook at all. I, rare, I rarely cook anything. I eat cereal like twice a day. I would say if I'm cooking anything, it's probably just a stir fry because it's easy. Like I can find whatever I have in the van and just kind of throw it together in a, in a pan and cook it. But yeah, that's not my skill, not my forte. Um, I make a, like a cold broccoli salad, like this vegan miso broccoli salad. Um, I'm not vegan, but I, don't, I just also don't like labels. And I also eat a lot of apples and almond butter. Like, that's like my jam, like every day. <laughs> totally. um, I actually cook a lot in my bus. And I mean, my favorite food in general is pizza, and I definitely do like handmade pizza dough and like legit pizzas in my bus all the time and like fresh baked bread and yeah <laughs> I make messes in there and then like just can't clean the dishes for a long time but I like very much believe in cast iron because then you don't have to um, like you're not supposed to <laughs> I like that <laughs> and um, just a side note Katie brought up uh, fresh off the grid and if you haven't heard of them they are pretty awesome Megan's traveled on the road uh, with her partner for 14 months. They're no longer on the road, but that was uh, part of how Fresh Off the Grid was born. So she's also a woman on the road herself, which is kind of cool. So love keeping that alive. I know not all of you travel alone, but I think this question can apply even if you travel with a partner or not. This question is, do you ever feel bored while traveling? How do you kill time when you get to camp early? Or really anywhere, I suppose. So do you ever get bored? Yes, definitely. But I think like the feeling of being bored or feeling like 
super alone or any of those feelings are really useful feelings. And yeah, I definitely end up like way out on like BLM land with like nothing to do. And like every, all of my batteries are dead so I can't even listen to music. I've read all of the books like at least five times. Um, and like all you can do is just like sit there and be with yourself. And that's a scary feeling, I think, but it's so special. And I really learned how to genuinely enjoy my own company, which like might mean I'm going like a little bit loony, but like I actually have a great time by myself. <laughs> I don't get bored. And I think it's because I'm constantly finding a way to fill the time. And I think it's because I'm afraid to get bored, to be like truly present, like <laughs> to be honest, you know, like I, and I'll say like that I don't go places without service because like of fear of what would happen, but it's not fear at all. It's loneliness, you know, like I don't want to go places without service because I have my Instagram and I have my friends and I can <laughs> talk to them when I get bored. And so I just have all these things that I'm constantly doing. And I think I'm actually hoping to force myself to be more bored so I can get to know myself and actually be more present. And that's kind of like the future goal. I have a four-month-old puppy, so um, I'm never bored. There's always a mess to clean up, and there's always like, I, I, there's her, she's a full-time job in of herself, so I feel like there's not enough time in the day for like everything that I need to do. So I really, I don't really think I get, I don't think I get bored very often. I feel like there's always something to do, and I don't know, she's, she's very hyper, so I have a lot to do. I probably do get bored, but I wouldn't use that word. During the week, I teach middle schoolers, so like 12-year-olds, so I'm pretty busy and kind of really want time to be what bored and really have nothing to do. So I think that's a big reason why I travel alone is I want nothing to do and to be out of cell phone service and not have to worry about all that stuff. So I think it probably could be considered bored, but I really enjoy it. So I think and talk about doing nothing a lot, and I'm kind of the queen of it at this point. I'm really good at sitting around doing nothing, but it's taken a lot of work, uh, personal work to get there. Um, I think that um, that doing nothing and what, what was said earlier um, down the line about struggling with being present because we're afraid of ourselves is really true and we all to a certain extent struggle with that. And I think that if you can work towards a place of being okay in the void and the scary void, that that's part of the reason to get out there in the first place. So I think that it can be really beautiful, but yeah, I think it's scary. I think it's really scary to sit alone with your own thoughts in the middle of the desert when it's silent and you know maybe the only sound is wind. You hear things that you didn't know were inside you and that can be something else. So I think I've struggled with that and I'm working towards being better with it. We'll be right back with more Q&A after this. This episode of Women on the Road is brought to you by Otterbox whose outdoor line of durable coolers, drinkware, duffels, and dry boxes help fuel both your everyday and extraordinary adventures. Recently, we had Otterbox join us at our first ever Women on the Road gathering this past month in Taos, New Mexico. With rapidly changing temperatures in the high desert, Otterbox's Venture Series coolers ensured that our drinks stayed chilled all day long, even in the hot sun. What's great about the Venture coolers is that they adapt to your needs. With an ever-growing collection of accessories, you can design the inside and outside of your venture cooler with all the right tools and conveniences, like side tables, cooler organization, and bottle openers. We also use the Elevation Series tumblers to keep our fresh coffee nice and hot during those chilly mornings at camp. 
Made with 100% stainless steel and an internal copper lining, these vessels can last years of adventures and will keep your drinks at the ideal temperature for hours, hot or cold. With OtterBox, no matter where your adventures take you, to the desert or a river or a local park, you'll know you have the essentials covered because your outdoor experiences don't have to be complicated or intimidating or epic. But with the right gear and an open mind, they're usually fun. Learn more about OtterBox and Unrule the Outdoors by heading to otterbox.com. We're back to the Q&A, and we were talking about being bored or lonely while on the road, which spurred another question I personally had for the group. The product of being bored, I think, at least the way I conceptualize this question, is that you're out alone somewhere and maybe without service, you don't have access to online um, distractions and, and such. And that requires a skill in and of, of itself, and that's finding um, some camping that's remote enough. And I'm wondering if any of you have some tips on finding that remote camping, especially if it's free, but even if it's not, what are some tips that you have? If you don't have benchmark maps, you need to get them. <laughs> they are the best maps. Uh, they're topographic maps of back roads, so not hiking topo maps, but driving topo maps. And a lot of times they're used by like fishermen or ATVing and things like that, but you can see every road in all of the western states. They just came out with the Texas one, that's their furthest east so far, but they are incredible. We carry the entire set of every state that they have. It's just so worth it. We have found places we just open up, you know, Four square miles are on a page, I think, is what it is. So it's really detailed. You can see like little pullouts people have made, like as though you're looking at Google Maps. So that's how we find all of our spots. This has changed a little bit now that I'm alone. I really use RV Allstays. It's a $10 app, and it's just kind of how I started on the road, and it's just kind of what I've continued. It's one of many resources, but I'm able to find camping based on how it's designated so BLM or you know national forest general public lands and I know kind of what the rules and regulations are in that area so that's what I really use very regularly um, I also use Allstays. I usually use that. It also lets you know, like, different Cracker Barrels or Walmart, like, things that are not remote. So it's, it has pretty much everywhere that you can stay. As far as remote, I think I usually would use freecampsites.net. I use that um, very often. And then also iOverlander. I think both of those, like, it's, you can kind of submit anything. So if you come across a campsite or if you stay at one, I recommend, like, leaving a review as well, adding a little bit of input and stuff, just kind of staying involved in the community. Yeah, those are all great resources. And I really love benchmark maps, too, so I'm glad that you mentioned that kit. But those are all awesome. This question I thought was pretty great, and I'm excited to hear your answers. This person wants to know who inspires you and why, and how do you pass that along to others? I think seeing people who were doing this solo when I was kind of transitioning from being in a couple to deciding whether or not I could do this solo, I think seeing that it really inspired me because it's people embodying what I was thinking about doing, and I was so terrified. And um, just one thing I wanted to mention that was kind of interesting, it's like this whole full circle thing with me with this anniversary. After my breakup, I was in the van alone for a week, and I drove it from Denver down to Austin, and I was not sure if I could do it, and I was still talking to my ex-boyfriend about whether or not we could stay together. And I stopped in Taos, and I actually stopped here, and I didn't know I was I didn't know where I was, but we talked on this property for like hours about whether or not like what to do. And he he actually said to me, he said, a little girl like you shouldn't be alone in a van. <laughs> 
<laughs> I know. <laughs> and, but you know, but I was so, but I, I mean, at that point, like I didn't know if I could do it, you know? And so I was so afraid and, and talking to people who were doing it, that was when I was like, oh, damn straight, like I can absolutely do this, you know? And so being back here at this moment, now talking with all of you, and we're all so strong and we're all here doing it, it's just incredible. So I'm just inspired by everyone, everyone here. I think it's a lot of very, what seem as like normal average conversations about traveling in general, and not just, you know, vans, but road travel. It's, it's the simple conversations of being like, oh, well, how, how do you do this thing? Or how do, you, how do you get rid of your gray water? And it's these small connections of like, we're, we're connecting on these very basic things, but it seems so normal to us. And it's, it's those small conversations that I think stick with me of people that I meet either on you know the Facebook group or in person or people that you just see another van in a parking lot and you're like, hey, we're doing the same thing. This is awesome. And uh, that's really kind of, I think, what keeps the drive there and, and the passion of it. I'm also inspired by the community that's around us. Um, I think it's been really cool to watch it grow over the last few years. But I would say my first inspirations uh, for living on the road were literary. I'm a big reader. Uh, I read a lot of like the Beats, if you guys are familiar, when I was in middle school, actually, and just fell in love with Jack Kerouac because it was so much fun and so wild and out there and this whirlwind. And um, then, in probably when I was about 19, I read a book by the writer Gretel Ehrlich. She is a rancher who currently lives in Wyoming, but she wrote a book called The Solace of Open Spaces about her time sheep herding um, in Idaho. And when I read that book, I was so inspired by her life and how much time she spent outside, and I knew that that was the life for me. So that book really changed things for me question from the audience is what is your favorite place you've traveled to and why was it your favorite? Oh, so hard. I didn't think this would be the one that would stump them. <laughs> so whoever wrote this, good job. <laughs> My favorite place to always go back to, the place I'm always longing for is Big Sur. I've lived close to it a lot of my life, but whenever I need that space, I go there the most mind-boggling place for me has been Nevada, surprisingly. Along the 50, there's a ton of amazing hot springs. I loved it. <laughs> yeah, I've been there too. It's really cool. This one is so hard for me, and it's, I don't really, it's weird that it is. And I think it's because when I'm traveling somewhere, it's so much about like the people that I connect with and the random things that I end up doing. Like I'm not, I don't feel like I'm not really seeing a lot of the like hot spots where I'm like, oh, this is the best place with the best park and the best view. I'm like, okay, well, it was kind of like this weird couple that invited me to a dinner and like, you know, I, we had like this banjo like concert in like the yard. And then I'm like, where was that? Like, <laughs> like you know, it's, for me, it's just, it's really so much been about the connection of the people that the places have become so much more fluid and it's really just like the people and the moments that kind of stick out. I really love Taos. I live in Colorado, so this is like a really easy weekend or long weekend for me, like Taos, Santa Fe, like the whole northern New Mexico, Ghost Ranch and Abiquiu, and this whole area really just like has a certain feeling about it to me that when I come back, I just feel very, um, like I don't have to do anything but be, which is 
like a really nice way to feel for a couple days. Before you pass the mic, I'm curious, since one thing Emily didn't mention, if you listened to one of the recent episodes of Women on the Road, we actually featured her, and she's she's not only visiting national parks, she's visiting every national park by herself. And so I'm curious if you have, I'm sure you get asked this all the time, but do you have a favorite national park or one that's particularly special to you? Yes. Uh, the Grand Tetons, I think. I've been there several times, and when I have a longer time, I love to go there and just again kind of do nothing because it's just so beautiful and like awe-inspiring and you don't have to go far to have just like the most beautiful views and again there's just a feeling about it like I think a lot of different parks I go to like they I mean obviously they all have their own thing and style and they all feel really different and I think for me it just feels very comfortable. I have a lot of places that I really love that are I think maybe givens as far as like living in a car like Montana and uh, Colorado are amazing and they're wonderful and they're beautiful but some of the places that took me by surprise the most are New Mexico is one of the top because there's a lot of culture and history and I feel like I could spend a lot of time here and I've barely scratched the surface and there's still so much to see and the other place that really took me by surprise was Michigan I had no expectations and I was really blown away and it's a place that I feel really drawn to and it's a crazy wild state with a lot of diversity. Michigan is beautiful. (laughs) I think my favorite places are the places that you walk into. Uh, We go backpacking a lot as we travel so I think that's always a special time for me to be because driving and camping in my bus is just being at home. That, that feels like sacred space and space that you can go that you don't hear noise and you can just be, as Emily said. So I think wilderness, I think of wilderness areas, I think that if you want to visit somewhere really cool, do a backpacking trip in the Eastern Sierras if you haven't. It's, yeah, if you go in off that side, it's a steep climb in, but there's some great lakes up there and it's a little less crowded than the other side. Agreed on the Eastern Sierras. And just a funny note on Michigan. I don't know if anyone here is from Michigan or has ties to Michigan. Yeah, so I'm going to just tell a very short, funny story. As I've been traveling on the road, I've heard a lot of people use the phrase, you'd be surprised when they talk about Michigan. They're like, visit Michigan. You'd be surprised at like this, this, or this, or how great it is. And I haven't been there yet, but I was like, is this like a phrase? This is a common Michigan phrase. And I asked someone one day, I was like, is this a common phrase? They're like, no. And I was like, well, everyone tells me you'd be surprised. So I'm trying to get that to be the, the next license plate. Like, tagline for Michigan, but it makes me want to go, and, and hearing this is a good reminder, so thanks, thanks, Katie and Kit, for that. This is a, a really interesting question um, that someone asked, and I just want to first acknowledge that being able to choose this lifestyle is such a privilege that we get to travel and live the life that you know we're crafting very intentionally, but it doesn't mean that, just like any other lifestyle, there isn't something else that we're giving up or some form of sacrifice, so I first want to acknowledge that there's a ton of privilege in what we're doing, but also it does come with its own challenges and trade-offs, so This question is, what is the biggest sacrifice you've made as a woman on the road? I'd be curious to hear some of your answers to that. For me, it goes back to what I said earlier about relationships. I haven't been able to hold on to a lot of my previous relationships that I had before I hit the road. And letting go of those was a really big challenge to me and has left some space that I I guess I'm still looking to to fill some of that space, to be perfectly honest. But that's been a huge sacrifice. And when I think of how to do it over, I think maybe I could have left differently to make that less of a sacrifice. Maybe there's things I could have done differently. It doesn't mean that you necessarily need to sacrifice that, but I definitely have. 
for me, I miss a lot of birthdays and I miss a lot of holidays and I'm present and I'm very intentional with my relationships in the sense that I call and I FaceTime the people in my life very regularly. And I, that goes back to kind of the question of being bored is because when I have time, I, I use that time to build on my relationships because that's very important to me. But um, it is hard and you wonder, okay, how long can I do this before people start to get sick of you not being present in life? And I don't know the answer to that question yet, but um, it's something that I think takes a lot of balance and pursuit and in being intentional with. I'm kind of just getting into van life dating, and I think, <laughs> just getting in there, um, I think that that is kind of hard. <laughs> like, that, that's really hard for me because I think that I'm viewed as just passing through, like, just so transient. And so, um, you know, as I start thinking, you know, maybe I do want to at some point start a real long-term connection, I'm viewed as, like, such a temporary person. Like, you know, I've been nicknamed Van Girl by multiple people. And so it's just like I'm just Van Girl passing through. And, and I think a fear of mine is just, like, how do I build a relationship if I'm just passing through? And so that's just kind of a thing to, I'm just not really sure how to navigate that, but that's definitely something that I'm starting to feel like I want to have the option to build something. I don't want to just be automatically kind of labeled as someone that's like transient and not a potential future mate. So that's a challenge right now. Yeah, I'm really glad you brought up uh, dating on the road. <laughs> it's like a really strange thing because um, you do leave. And I think for me, one of my biggest sacrifices is like, I mean, what everybody said, like leaving the people you love and not being there for huge life events can be really hard, especially when it's like out of your control. Like I've had my bus break down like on the way to my best friend's wedding and it was just like such a terrible situation um, and I still feel guilty about it even though she doesn't blame me, but like, yeah, that stuff sucks. And then I also, like on the flip side of that though, like fall in love with people everywhere. And I think that's like, just like to be transient. Like you have these friends and these people and places that you really care about and like you really wanna build this friendship with, but like you're leaving. And like usually I'm leaving like within a week. <laughs> so that's been really hard, um, like trying to figure out how to maintain friendships from a distance with people you barely know. <laughs> I feel like there's going to be a new podcast emerging that you both host about dating on the road <laughs> or like a video series or something. Oh we'll be in touch. As we often do on this show, I asked for final thoughts or advice from anyone who wanted to share before we wrap things up. I think there's a lot of like everybody has a lot of fears surrounding like getting on the road. And I think like hold space for those that they're valid, but also accept that like it's going to be fine, even when it's not. <laughs> like, it will work out in the end. Yeah, I honestly feel like I have more of a community now than I did before I was on the road. Like, I never really knew my neighbors, but now, you know, I have so many friends that I've hung out with a dozen times in seven months. And I just, I feel like, you know, if that's a fear, like, this is such a strong community and everybody connects so quickly that there's there's just so much support out there and I'm, I'm just so grateful for that. I think one of my biggest realizations lately is that there's beauty in things that are temporary and I think that used to be really hard to swallow because I felt so drawn to these long-term 
things, not just in relationships, but in life. And I'm finding the beauty in the things that are a little bit fleeting and it's okay. And it's how wonderful that you get to experience this moment and it's okay that it might not happen again or you might not be able to replicate it again. And that took a really long time to find that and it's, uh, it's made my life a lot easier. <laughs> that was a great closing note. So firstly, let's give a round of applause to all of our panelists. You did a fantastic job. You can applaud for yourself too, it's all good. Yeah. yeah. Great. And we also wanted to give a huge thanks to our sponsor, Otterbox. They've been our primary sponsor for this entire event. And so we couldn't put this on without them and with all of your support. So um, a big thanks to them and a big thanks to you as well. So thank you so much, Otterbox. Thanks so much to our panelists, Martha Hudson, Lisa Jacobs, Sydney Fabraki, Emily Hart, Katie Larson, and Kit Whistler for their time in Taos and their openness to answer all of our questions. You can find out more on each of these amazing ladies by following the links in our show notes. We'd also like to give another huge thanks to Otterbox for their support for our event, in addition to our other incredible sponsors, Union Wine Company, GT's Kombucha, Double Good Popcorn, and Escape Camper Vans, who all helped make this gathering possible. Thank you also to Kim Park of Heart of Taos for coming out to see us and share what this nonprofit does for the community of Taos and beyond. We'll see you next week. But in the meantime, make sure you find us on social media. You can find us on Instagram at Women on the Road and on Facebook, including our Facebook group for community questions, stories, and support by searching for Women on the Road podcast. Also, if you want to support the show, we'd love for you to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, or you could share this episode with a friend. Lastly, if you like stories of adventurous women, chances are you'll also like our sister podcast, She Explores. It's a podcast about women who are inspired by time spent outside. You can find the She Explores podcast by visiting www.she-explores.com slash podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever podcasts are found. Music is by Josh Woodward, Jason Shaw, and Jazar. Women on the Road is edited in partnership with Gail Straub and produced by She Explores.